Um, we also are starting a new series today called Stronger, and it will be a four-week series out of the book of Ephesians. And Pastor John and I will be bringing um, this series to you over these next few weeks. Um, and the reason why we chose this series is because we as a church value life change. And so we talked last week, if you are here, or if you got to catch it on the podcast, that one of the things that we really value as a church is that we are changing, that we are growing, that we are moving in the direction of the Holy Spirit and what God wants us to do. And we value growth. And so Ephesians 3, 16 through 17 says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. And then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him, and that your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And that is the title of our series is Stronger, because over these next few weeks, we're going to look at ways that we feel like we can grow in who God wants us to be. So how many of you ever, when you were maybe a child, you looked um, inside a tree trunk and you counted the rings to determine how many years the tree was? Anyone ever do that? Just us county folks? Okay, so here's some, here's some cherry trees. I, I checked to make sure my facts were correct, but these are some cherry trees. So if we were going to look in here, mm, it looks like two. No, I don't know. There's, you can look pretty closely, but you can actually tell how many years old that the tree is by looking at it. And there, there's actually a science it's called. It's not just for those of us who grew up out in the sticks. There's a science called dendrochronology. And it's this method of using growth rings to analyze the timing of events and the rates of change in the environment. So scientists can actually look inside a tree, the crosscut of a tree, and be able to see even patterns of weather, things that happened in that uh, climate at a certain time. And new growth happens when the cells, uh, a new layer of cells forms near the bark, and therefore it makes it uh, a circle, which means a complete cycle of seasons in a tree's life. And I looked it up as of 2013, the oldest tree ring measurement was 13,900 years. That tree has seen a lot of things. And with every growth ring, the tree gets stronger. With every growth cycle, the tree becomes steady, more stable, more mature, and more solid. And I just began to wonder, what would it look like if our spiritual life could be cut open like a log? Like if we somehow could, could take our spiritual life and, and put it on this cart and saw it in half, what would it look like? Would, would there be growth every year that we've been a follower of Jesus? Some of us have been a follower for Jesus a long time. Some of us are just new to this journey with Jesus thing, but would it show the rate of growth that it should? Would it, would it measure every year, or would there be a growth stunt? Maybe right in the beginning, a lot of growth, a lot of growth rings, but then maybe for the past several years, there hasn't been anything at all. Maybe the opportunity to grow is right there, but we are just not putting more growth rings on our tree. We're not becoming more steady and more stable. I just wonder what it would look like if we could do that. Now, ultimately, you can't separate your spiritual life from your real life. It's, it's all spiritual. I think sometimes we think we're really doing a good job because we're in church a lot, and even like we're doing our devotions every morning, so we're really succeeding in our spiritual life. But we have all these people in our life who are mad at us because we treat them like garbage. 
The thing about spiritual life is it crosses over into everything. It crosses over into your relationships. It crosses over into your emotions, into your work, into your leisure, into your family, into your friendships, because God cares about it all, and he uses all of it to help us grow in him. That's what he does. And so if you are growing spiritually, then you also must be growing emotionally. You also need to look back and say, wow, Man, 10 years ago, I would have blow up in that situation. I would have screamed and yelled and I would have berated that person. But here I am, a little further down my journey with Jesus, and and I dealt with that with more peace and more joy and more fruit of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to see that measure and see that growth because we can't just stay the same. Ephesians says it, we must grow in the knowledge and the power of who Jesus is. We must. We must grow and become steady, and stable, and more mature. And I I really believe that our growth rings must be visible not only to us, but to other people. Because that is what's called a witness to others. That they're watching as you're not handling things the same as you used to. Things are different than they were before. So like I said, over the next few weeks, we're going to look into Ephesians um, to teach us some growth things, some things that the scripture would say, this is how you grow. This is how you would grow an extra ring, an extra growth ring. And I want to tell you a little bit about Ephesians. I thought this was awesome. So Ephesus is the capital city of a Roman province of Asia, and it's a port city. It's a port city. So it became a center for international trade. So there was a lot of people there. A lot of people came in and a lot of people came out. So the church there was really able to interact with people from all over, all all over the, the, the nation, all over the places that were traveling there. And last week, we likened our church to that of a ship. Do you remember? So we're going to park our ship in the port city of Ephesus for the next four weeks. We're going to park our ship in the port city of Ephesus, and we're going to look into Ephesians and the way that that God would want that church to act, and we're going to learn how we can grow in that way. So we have a challenge for you. You got this on your way in, hopefully. If you didn't, they're on the tables on your way out. And this is a bookmark. A book is a thing with pages. Some of you don't, you know, you open it like this, right? You might have some, your, your grandma might have some if you don't. Um, so these things are called books. And here's what we want you to do. We want to challenge you to memorize these four verses. There's four weeks of the series. Today's, uh, we're going to talk about Ephesians 1. Uh, Pastor John's going to talk about conflict in Ephesians 4. We're going to talk about Ephesians 5, wise living, and then Ephesians 6, spiritual warfare. And we want you to memorize these four. And I'm going to encourage you to do it with your family. Do it with your small group. Do it with your your kids. Do it with your best friend. Um, Do it with someone that comes here. Do it with someone that doesn't. But use this. Put it in a place that you'll be able to look at it and find it. And the word of God will bring growth. I guarantee it. That's what it promises to do. The word of God will bring growth. So we want you to take these with you. In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them where you're going to put this so that you remember to take it with you. Where are you going to put it through the week that you look at it? Go ahead, talk to each other. So by the end of this series... We want you to learn these four verses out of Ephesians, and as the word of God goes down deep into your heart, you will begin to grow. So today we're going to talk about, uh, we're, the, our first growth thing we're going to talk about is from Ephesians 1, cha- uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I think this is interesting because the book of Ephesians was written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and it was while Paul was in jail. And I love how he begins the entire book talking about blessings. He just begins talking about, let me tell you about all the good things that are happening to me while I sit here and rot in jail. (laughs) And this letter actually is one of the only epistles that was written, that was not written with a specific situation in mind. Many of the epistles were written directly to a situation that was rising up in the churches, and God said, Paul, I want you to write this letter to this church. Well, this particular epistle was actually intended, it's believed by theologians, it was intended to be written as a circular letter that was to be circulated through all the churches in Asia Minor. So basically saying, all of this stuff we're going to talk about applies to all of you. (laughs) Everybody needs to hear this. Every church in around, around this province needs to hear it. So take this letter, go read it at this place, go read it at this place, go read it at this place, and tell them all these things. And so we can really use this letter as a tool because we know that the word of God is timeless, the word of God is excellent, and that this is something that we can hold on to as he's teaching us. So verse 3 says, praise, celebrate, give God thanks for the spiritual blessings he has given us. And so a way to grow, a way to become stronger in Christ is to praise, is to celebrate the spiritual blessings that he offers us. So we already know the action step. Spoiler alert for the sermon. Okay, you already know. That's the point. Praise. Give God praise. Give God thanks. Paul says we must celebrate. We must say wow, God, we thank you for these spiritual blessings that you have given us. We praise you for that. We know that you're doing things in us. We, we give you honor. We, we celebrate. But what are the spiritual blessings that God gives us? What, what does that actually mean? That's a nice kind of words put together, spiritual blessings. But what does that mean? What are those things? And I think the first thing that is notable here in this passage is that all of the spiritual blessings that he's about to talk about and all the ones ever are come from being in Christ. They come from being in Christ. So as many of you know, at the cross of Jesus, he traded places with us. That, that's the, the hope of the gospel, that he literally traded places with me. If you're a believer in Jesus, he literally traded places with you. All of the death, all of the shame, all of the condemnation that I deserve went to Jesus. And all of the forgiveness and the love and the grace that Jesus rightly has as the sinless son of God comes to me. And that changes our identity. That, that completely flips around our identity. So I wanted you to see this. This is where Jesus is sitting. <laughs> um, and this is me. So if this was Jesus's spot, and this was my spot, then what that scripture is saying is that if you are in Christ, you are in Christ's position. If if you are in Christ, if you have have trusted in God as your savior, and you've repented of your sin, and you've asked him to rule and and reign in your heart, that, that he suffers and dies so that you might be blessed to live. You sit in this spot. He gave up his chair and took yours, so that you could sit in his. So I think often we have these questions 
Am I good enough for God to bless me? Like that spiritual blessing thing, I know, but I haven't done really well this week. I, I blew it a whole bunch of times. I, I, I'm living, I, I can't get myself together. I'm trying really hard, but I keep making the same mistake over and over. I, I'm impatient. I'm unkind. I'm making that, that sin. And we think, of course, I, I haven't acquired the spiritual blessings that Paul is talking about. I haven't earned them? How do I get them? How do I get these blessings that he's talking about? Do I be really good? Do I read my Bible a really long time? Do I understand these things? And the question is not, how do you get the spiritual blessing? The question is, do you believe that God loves Jesus? Do you believe God loves Jesus? Okay. Do you believe that God is kind to Jesus? Do you believe that God is gracious to Jesus? Do you believe that God's ear is attuned toward Jesus, that, that God's affection is devoted to Jesus? You believe all that, right? That's easy to believe. Well, what the scripture is saying is that if you are in Christ, you sit in this position. You don't sit here anymore. You sit in this position. So if you believe that God is all of those things to Jesus, to, 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 if you believe that Jesus is all of those things to God, if you are loved as Christ is loved and you are blessed as Christ is blessed and God can hear you the way that he could hear Jesus and God's affection is turned toward you and God's grace is on you because he says your position is changed. It actually has nothing to do with how well you did this week in trying to combat that, that, that thing that you're trying to change in your life, if you are in Christ, then whatever things that God has given to Jesus, God has given to you. And Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants his life to flow through your life so that you can begin to change. Jesus wants to infuse a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of living, but it's not you, it's Christ in you. It's Christ in you that is taking residence in your life and is producing this fruit and making you stronger and producing your growth rings. So as we talk about getting stronger and growing in who Jesus is, it's not about trying really, really hard. It's about understanding that if you're in Christ, you don't sit here anymore. You sit here. And that Jesus can rule and reign in your heart and you can move in his spirit. And so all of these spiritual blessings we're talking about um, when we live as, as we are in Christ is when they come. So let's, look, uh, let's continue to look here. We actually find some of the spiritual blessings he's, talk about, he's talking about in the subsequent verses of Ephesians 1, 4 through 10. So it's a little bit of a long passage. If you have your Bible, you can follow along or look at it on the screen. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. All right, so I just picked out three 
spiritual blessings in that passage. It's rich with them. And I want to encourage you to go, go home this week and read Ephesians 1 and ask God to continue to reveal to you what other spiritual blessings he offers. But the first one I want to talk about this morning, a spiritual blessing in Christ, is that we are revelation receivers. That we are revelation receivers. Verse 9 says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. You know, I find it amazing that all of the senses that God gave us, sight, hearing, smelling, tasting, I had cake for breakfast. I'm just saying, today I did. Um, All of the senses, all of the senses that um, you get, all of the ways we can think and communicate, our ability to have different emotions are all within us so that we can communicate and experience God. And I think we forget that sometimes. It's just a bonus that we get to communicate with other human beings that way. But why God put that, our genetic makeup, that inside of us, is so that we could hear the, 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 the nature, the sounds that, that God has, his creation, you know, creates, that we could hear that, that we could, that we could taste and see the things that God is showing us, that, that the things that he has made for us to understand and experience him, that is why we have all of those different abilities to, to think and communicate. And we are not designed to figure out life on our own. Because how many of you know that when we try to do that, it's usually a train wreck, <laughs> Right? Because we are not designed to figure it out on our own. We won't be able to figure it out without a higher source of wisdom. Because God wants to talk to us. And we are created to communicate with him. And he will reveal things to us that he wants us to hear. He is accessible to us. I was thinking this week, and I I wanted to look up um, what, would it, what would I have to do if I wanted to reach the president of the United States, if I wanted to talk to him? Anybody have him on speed dial? Okay. First, I looked up on Wikipedia that you would have to write a typed letter. They only take typed letters on eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and it has to have the specific salutation of dear Mr. President. I think it's so that no one calls him any mean names or anything. And you must include your full name at the end and your correct address. If it's not a correct address, they throw it out. Um, then you have to mail it to this certain P.O. box where a mailroom worker will open the letter and make sure it's safe and there's no extra surprises in there and um, will begin to deem if it meets the requirement to even go to the next step. So the first thing they do is go through security and mailroom workers, and if they deem that it's not appropriate, it doesn't even go to the next step. Then, if it does, a White House aide reviews the letter And they can choose to reply maybe with a pre-written generic answer like, thank you for writing, God bless America. You know, like they can just sort of write whatever, okay, we got your letter, thank you, this is what we're going to say. Maybe if you're lucky, if the White House aide thinks it should go to the next round, another White House aide reviews it and gives it to the security team again, who mentions it to the Secret Service, who mentions it to the personal assistant of the personal assistant of the president, that there might be a letter that he might want to look at someday if he has time. (laughs) The odds of your note reaching the desk of Donald Trump is pretty low. I would suggest scaling the Trump Tower if you have something to say, just if it's that important. Just go go big or go home, okay? Because your letter probably isn't going to get there. Yet, 
the God of the universe, the one who holds everything in motion, looks at us and just says, just tell me, child, what are you worrying about today? What is it that's bugging you? What are the things you feel? How did that person make you feel when they said that to you? Because I want to be so close to you that I want to to understand everything that you're saying. I want to, to speak back to you. There is no boundaries between us. There is no personal system to the personal system, or you better say it this way, or you better say it that way. In fact, if you whisper, grumble, or yell a prayer, God hears it instantly. Isn't that just amazing? Thank you, Jesus. And he put spiritual gifts in us so that we can communicate with each other the messages from God himself. He may give you a prophetic word for someone else in this room because God wants us to hear from him. And God wants so badly for us to hear from him that he even uses us, us kind of broken down, side of the road, station wagon type people, you know? He uses us because he so badly wants us to communicate with him. And God speaks to us primarily and most authoritatively through the scripture. And that is something that is so accessible to us any minute of the day. The spiritual blessing first in this scripture is that we are revelation receivers. And God wants to speak to us. All right, the second one is we're image reflectors. And that comes out of verse 10, where it says we're going to help bring unity to all things under Christ. And verse 4 says, He chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight, that we are reflectors of His image, that through His Spirit, He wants His attributes to be visible on earth. He wants creation to know something about Him, and He's going to use us to mirror that. And so that means that God is loving. So when we love, we reflect his love to others. God is truthful. So when we tell the truth, we reflect his truthfulness to others. God is forgiving. So when we forgive others, we are reflecting his grace and his mercy to others. That's why forgiveness is such a priority on God's list. That's why so many scriptures say, if you don't forgive other people, I'm not going to forgive you. Because forgiveness is the core reflection of who he is to the world. And so if we aren't forgiving, then we aren't reflecting the very core of who God is. God is generous, and when we're generous, we reflect his generosity to others. And so our life is to be one of mirroring. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. And so we're not reflecting ourselves, but we're reflecting who God is. And the goal is not for the world to know who we are, but the goal is for the world to know who he is. We're not the objects. He's the object. And so we are our attempt to... to, be witnesses for him is to echo something of God's attributes to the world. I think so many of our decisions are about um, how will this make me look, or how will this affect my life, or how will this affect my family, but that is the wrong question to ask. The right question is how could they see God? And if your action would give God a bad reputation or a bad reflection, then you are not being what God created you to be, which is an image reflector. And that's why Jesus is called the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15. 
And Jesus even says when he's here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because he's the perfect mirror, he's the sinless mirror. Everything that could be seen about God's character is made visible through Jesus, through his life and his death and his burial and his resurrection of Jesus. He, he is the image of the invisible God. And if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. So we are image reflectors. And as I thought about that, what a privilege that is. And also, what a responsibility. What a spiritual blessing with a responsibility attached that we are image reflectors of him. We're going to talk more about that in week three of this series. So the third spiritual blessing that I want to touch on this morning is that we are completely redeemed. That we are completely redeemed. Verse 7 says, um, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's people. Now, that word redeemed, I think, right now is a very Christian term. Uh, it's a very religious, religious term. But when the first century, when the people heard that word, they did not link it to religious at all. In fact, that word redeemed meant this to them, that it brought to mind the common picture of a slave being purchased and then set free. So to them, redemption meant release from bondage by the payment of a price. Release from bondage with the payment of a price. So every Gentile in the Roman world would have thought when he heard the word redemption, that image of a slave being paid to be set free and then walking in freedom. That's what that word would have meant. It means absolute and total freedom and that Jesus' perfect life and substitutionary death on the cross obtained redemption for us. And I love in this passage, Paul doesn't say, in him someday we hope to be redeemed or we're working at obtaining redemption, but we don't know yet. We'll have to see if like our good works tip the scale. When we get to heaven, well, we'll figure it out. He doesn't say that. He says, in him we have redemption. It's our current position. It's our current experience. In him we have redemption. Now, we await the future redemption of our bodies mentioned in Romans 8.23, where eating cake for breakfast isn't a problem. We await for that. But in, in our spirits, even now, we can live in the truth that we are redeemed. So C.S. Lewis wrote this incredible tale called The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. How many of you have seen it, read it, watched the movie? Okay, so um, it's this just incredible story. The Land of Narnia, which doubles as Erie PA most of the winter, um, was under... The cruel reign of the white witch. But Aslan, who is the lion, was on the move. And so when the witch and the lion finally meet, when they finally come face to face, the witch says to Aslan that one of the children, Edmund, has been found to be a traitor. And the law of Narnia is that anyone who is a traitor now belongs to the white witch and will be punished with death. That was the law of Narnia. So Aslan strikes a deal with the witch and agrees to die in Edmund's place. And I want you to watch for just a minute what happens next. We should go. Cold. 
Saslan. What have they done? interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Edmund will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go and little time to get there. To cover your ears. I love that line. If you couldn't hear it too good, this is what he said. Aslan. The white witch would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, that the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. And C.S. Lewis masterfully gets to the heart of our redemption. In that eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit conspired to love a people for themselves. And they determined both to create us, and even though they, even though they knew, they knew we would mess it up, they knew that we would not get it right, they also decided to set their loving and eternal gaze on us as particularly chosen and treasured children. And in Ephesians 1, I just love it. The Apostle Paul is so overtaken with just the majesty of our redemption that he can hardly stop to put a period before his sentences. <laughs> from, from verse 3 all the way to verse 11, it's just one long run-on sentence. And the whole point is of those verses that we're redeemed, we're set free, that God has done it, and death itself has started working backwards. That that is what is true, that that is what is right. Yeah, go ahead. Thank Jesus for that, because we're supposed to celebrate. And so through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit, the Father determined before the foundation of the world that he would save us from sin. And that no training, no work of our own will accomplish this. That we have earned nothing of what we have in Christ. That what we have is the result of a decision made by a triune God before anything in creation ever existed. Before the beginning of time, God determined to love you for eternity. And I just want to pause here for a minute. I'm not even done with my sermon. (laughs) But... But if you're here today and you, you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you have never accepted him as your Savior and your King, I want you to know that before the beginning of time, God determined to love you for eternity. And that all you have to do is repent of your sin that separates you from him and ask Jesus to reign and rule in your heart. And this is a moment that, that can only be captured um, in such a 
such a, a spiritual way that is nothing to do with any work that you'll do. It's nothing to do with the way that, that you'll, you'll earn your salvation. That God himself, just like Aslan did, died in the place of someone who didn't deserve it. And that made death go backwards. And so bow your heads with me. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes, everyone in the room. This, this moment is, is just too important to, to keep going. And so I just want to take a minute. If your heart is just burning inside of you, if you, if you have just come here today and you don't even know what to expect, but in this very moment, understanding the spiritual blessing of redemption and, and, and understanding that this means that you are free, that you are bought with the blood of Jesus, and you want to say, Jesus, even today, I want to, to sit in your seat. I, I, want to, I want to take the trade that you're offering, that you get all the sin and death that I deserve, and I get all of the grace and the mercy that your sinless life awarded me. Would you just raise your hand right now, just right where you're sitting, just raise your hand up real high. All over this place. Oh my goodness, all over this place. All right, you can put your hand down. Let's pray together. Everyone, let's do this together. Even if you've been following Jesus for 40 years, let's do this in support of those who made that decision. Would you just repeat after me? Jesus, I want you in my life. I confess my sin. I am sorry for the things that have separated us. And I want you to come into my heart and rule and reign. Help me understand you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Erie First, can we just celebrate for a minute? I think, now I counted really quick and I'm not good at math. You can ask Joel, but I counted at least 25 of you who decided today that you want God to rule in your life. Wow. I just want to tell you real quick, if you, if you did raise your hand today, if you want to check the, the card on the back of your bulletin, it says um, that you want to know more about a relationship with Jesus, then we'll get in touch with you. We'll, we'll call you this week. We'll give you some resources just to kind of get you started, show you how to, how to get connected in our church, because we really want to help you just live out the best decision of your life right there. So, all right, back to the sermon. Um, anyway, uh, okay. So let me close with this. There are more spiritual blessings that we can praise God for. There's so much more, uh, but I just wanted to begin to draw your attention to these few. And so read Ephesians 1 this week. Read it this week. Memorize your verse and read this so that you can see the things that, that God is doing, the things that God is offering us. So let me just end in this. What do we do in response to these spiritual blessings? This is kind of where we started. We're circling all the way back. See what I did there? We're circling all the way back. All right. Um, so what do we do? What do we do now that we know God does these things for us? We celebrate. That's what the scripture says. We give God genuine thanks and praise. John Ortberg is a pastor and an author and he, he asked this question, how often have people misunderstood God because they attributed him to the grim, judgmental, defensive, soul-wearing spirit of many who claim to be his followers? In other words, you can't be grumpy all the time if you love Jesus. <laughs> what he says is a Christ-filled life brings celebration and blessing. 
A Christ-filled life gives a broken world reason to seek Jesus, and it brings glory and honor to his name. Did you know that God actually commanded his people to celebrate? I'm a sanguine personality. I love that command. Let's party. That's what he says. He says, go out and find things to celebrate. In fact, uh, God set up rules and laws and traditions where uh, the, the feast days were so important that celebration was such an important part of God's people. In fact, C.S. Lewis, the same guy that penned the, witch, uh, the line the witch in the wardrobe is, said, um, Joy is a serious business of heaven. That joy is a serious business of heaven. That celebrating with each other is spiritual. Birthday parties are spiritual. Anniversaries, vow renewals. I know uh, my dear friends are in town for a vow renewal for their parents. That that is a, a, a time to celebrate. Because when something good happens and we can turn our hearts to praise and thank God, that everything can become spiritual and a spiritual blessing. And so your homework today is to go find something to party about, <laughs> to go find something to celebrate. John Arberg also said this, and uh, he suggested this practical idea, I want to share it with you, of setting aside one day every week to celebrate. And here's what he says, one day a week, devote a specific day to acts of celebration. Eat food you love, listen to music that moves your soul, play a sport that stretches and challenges you, read books that refresh your spirit, wear clothes that make you happy, surround yourself with beauty, give thanks to God for his goodness, take time to experience and savor joy, then direct your heart to God so that you come to know that he is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. Will you stand with me? That's what I was going to tell you to do. Let's just take one minute, and can we just praise God with our hands this morning? And let's just give him praise for what he's done and what he's doing. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that you redeemed us. Thank you that we reflect to you, God. Thank you you've given us your son to image and to mirror. Lord, we praise you for what you're doing in this house, in this place. God, you're worthy, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Let me close with this, and then I'm going to invite Brad to the stage, uh, to the platform. Um, Ephesians 1 says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is the body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.